All right, again, thank you so much, Pastor Reno, and thank you, Berean Baptist Church, just for having us here. Um, we count it a privilege to be here, and you all have been just a great blessing to us uh, while we've been here. So again, just thank you, and again, uh, my name is Daniel. My wife's name is Holly. We have four kids, Hannah, Charity, Gloria, and Jonathan, and we are going to be planting a church in the city of Riverside, California, which is considered part of the greater Los Angeles area. And as the video explained this morning, it's just east of the city of L.A. There's over 300,000 people there. There are two independent Baptist churches uh, in a city of over 300,000 people. Uh, not enough. <laughs> not enough. We need more. And so um, that's what God has called us to do. And uh, right now we're just on deputation, raising our support to get there. And I like the way you put it, preacher. <laughs> you told that other man, you know, uh, can you, you know, can you support yourself and your family on the tithes and offerings of the people that you've led to Christ in the last year? <laughs> and uh, that's a great point. And when you put it that way, it helps us to understand the need to support church planters here in this country. Um, it's extremely important because we need to see churches not just get started, but to, um, but to stay the course. Because churches, some churches get started, and then you know, after a year, two, three years, they're closed their doors. They're done. Why? Uh, well, there's many different reasons, but um, one of the reasons is a lot of men who start churches, they get discouraged. They get discouraged. They don't see um, the progress they thought they were going to see. Uh, many churches just drop support because they have a year, oh, well, we'll support you for a year, and then after that, you're on your own. So they get discouraged, and they just leave. They quit, and, um, you know, Satan loves to see churches close, close their doors, um, but... I believe God is going to do some amazing things um, in this country and particularly in the area that God has called us to. So again, thank you for having us here. We do have our display table out there, uh, out there in the front, and uh, our prayer cards are there. Please grab one of those prayer cards and pray for us. The most important thing you can do is pray. That's the most powerful thing. Even if you never give a dime, um, the most important thing you can do is pray. And, and um, if you're not able to give financially, we can all pray, and that's, in the end, um, uh, that's what's going to get done, is God's people praying. And so, uh, please pray for us. Uh, with that, let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And this, our, the message tonight will kind of um, build upon the Sunday school lesson this morning that was uh, taught uh, here in the auditorium from Isaiah chapter 5. And so I won't need to go in as deeply um, because those of you who are here got a good lesson on what was taking place at the time uh, that Isaiah 6 uh, it takes place. So Isaiah chapter 6, we'll begin in verse number 1. And if you're able to, I'd invite you to stand with me as we look into our text this, this evening. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is, t- is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this time together this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would um, open our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray that you would teach us from your word tonight. Help us to honor and to glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if you were here at Sunday school, you learned a little bit about the time period that Isaiah is preaching in. In Isaiah 1.1, we learn that Isaiah is preaching in the time of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It was a very interesting time in Israel, in the city of Jerusalem at that time. A lot of things were happening, um, many of them not very good. And we learned about, you learned about some of those this morning if you were here in Sunday school. Uh, at this time in Israel, there was a lot of idolatry, a lot of idol worship, a rejection of the God of the Bible. There's a lot of wickedness taking place in the culture, in the economics of the nation at this time. Um, it sounds very similar to today, and that's because it is. Um, I, if you were to uh, bring Isaiah back to our time period today, to America in 2021, um, he would look around and see a nation very similar to the one that God called him to preach to. So um, there are a lot of similarities that can be found between um, Israel at this time here in Isaiah and then our nation today. We see a lot of wickedness all over the place in every area of our country, whether it's uh, in business, there's a lot of wickedness. In politics, we certainly know that there is much wickedness in our politics today, in, um, in sports even, in, uh, in the public school system, the universities, all the the wickedness that is taught there in their entertainment. We know, I don't even need to tell you, all the wickedness that comes from our entertainment. The culture today in this country is as wicked as it has ever been. And Isaiah was finding himself in a very similar situation. And if you look at verse 8 again, the end there of verse 8, God is asking a question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And notice Isaiah's response, then said I, here am I. Send me. You know, God today is looking for more Isaiahs. He's looking for more Isaiahs. Who, when God asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He's looking for those who would say, here am I. Send me. So tonight I want to ask you the question, are you willing? Are you willing, like Isaiah was, to say, here am I. Send me. We live in a time very much like Isaiah's time. God has given us the same responsibility that he gave to Isaiah to preach the word of God to a wicked and to a perverse perverse nation that has rejected the God of the Bible. God has called us to that. So what's it going to take for you and I to be willing to be just like Isaiah and to respond the same way? What's it going to take? The first thing is, notice about Isaiah here in this passage, is that he saw the Lord for who he is. If you go back to verse number one, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord sitting high upon a throne, sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. 
and his train filled the temple. I want to stop there. This is the kind of vision that you and I need of the Lord, high and lifted up. We need to exalt the Lord in our lives. We need to see the Lord for who he is. A lot of the problems in Christianity today is that too many Christians don't view God like they should. They have too low a view of God and too high a view of themselves. And if we're going to respond the way Isaiah did at the end of this passage with the words, here am I, send me, we need to see the Lord for who he is, high and lifted up. Continuing in verse number two, describing um, this throne and the Lord sitting upon the throne. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then verse number four, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Understand this, that our God is a mighty God and a holy God. Now, we need to have that proper view. Very quickly, notice how God is described in Revelation chapter 4. Turn very quickly to Revelation chapter 4, and you see another revelation that God gives of himself. He gave this one to Isaiah. He gives this one in Revelation 4 to the apostle John. So Revelation chapter 4 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne, there you see a throne again, was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a starting stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like, like unto an emerald. So you see this, this majestic imagery, this awesome imagery of God's throne. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white, white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings round about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. Same phrase that we saw in Isaiah saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Another truly incredible revelation that God gave of himself to here to John the Apostle in uh, Revelation chapter 4. Now you and I um, um, don't have the benefit of that type of a revelation, but what do we have? Well, we have the complete work, word of God. We actually have something greater than what they had. We have, we have the complete counsel of God. 
Everything that God wants us to know about him is in this book. Everything that God wants you to know about him, you have in the pages of scripture. So you and I are responsible then to know this book. And that's how we're going to get a proper view of God. If you want to know God more and who he is and have the correct view of who your God is, you need to look into the scriptures. That's where he's found, right there. That's where God is speaking to you. That's where you're going to understand God's love, God's mercy, God's holiness. You're going to understand also God's wrath. You're going to understand why God takes sin so seriously and why sin has to be punished. So if you're going to know the character and nature of God, you're going to have to read the Word of God because that's where God reveals himself to you and to me. Isaiah had an a vision of the Lord that he had never had before. He saw the Lord truly for who he is. And if you and I are going to be involved in reaching the world with the gospel and being motivated to do it, motivated to give to missions, motivated to um, go out and pass out gospel tracts and to open your mouth and, and show people from the word of God how to be saved, you've got to, first of all, you've got to have the right view of God. Too often we have too low a view of God. We put him down here when he is to be high and lifted up. In, uh, in his commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, All vainglory, ambition, ignorance, and pride would be done away by one view of Christ in his glory. And that's what you and I need. We need a view of Christ in his glory. We need to understand just how great our God is. Because when we see God for who he is, it will then cause us to see ourselves for who we are. And that's what Isaiah did. The next point is that Isaiah saw himself for who he was. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. Notice verses 5 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 6. Once Isaiah saw God for who he is, he then saw himself for who he was. So verse 5 and verse 7, then said I, woe is me. You know, in chapter 5, there's a lot of woes <laughs> that are pronounced upon Israel. Well, in, verse, in chapter 6, the woe is, Isaiah says, woe is me. After seeing God for who he is, his reaction was, woe is me, for I am undone. Think about it, what a phrase. I am undone. That means there was nothing left of him. He was totally decimated by what he saw of God because he, then he understood I don't measure up, not even close. No matter how good I could ever be, I could never measure up to God. I could never be as good as God is. <clears throat> he says, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How often do you see the King? How often do you spend time with him? Are you in your Bible every day? Are you praying to him every day? Every relationship in life is built upon one thing, truly, and that's communication. How is your relationship with God? Are you communicating with him? Are you allowing him to communicate to you? That's what grows your relationship with God. That will help you see yourself for who you are. And if you were to... Uh, describe the prophet Isaiah. If I were to go around the room and ask, what, you know, how would you describe him? 
Many people would say, well, he was a great prophet, a great man of God. He was um, a mighty man, a great preacher of, of the gospel, a preacher of righteousness, a courageous man, a holy man, a great man of God. But you look at how Isaiah described himself. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. In fact, over in Isaiah 64, verse 6, um, you see how God describes the good things that we do. And we learned a little bit about this this morning. It says in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Remember, the good things you do without God are nothing. They're filthy rags. They're disgusting to God because of our sin. The good that you do in and of yourself has sin stained all over it. doesn't matter how good it is. It has sin all over it. And to God, sin is truly filthy, truly filthy. Do you view sin the same way God does? Do I? That's very important that we do. We need to see ourselves for who we are. And then in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul, another great man of God, if I were to ask about Paul, what, you know, how would you describe him? Well, he was a great preacher, a great soul winner. You know, he, he was a great missionary, church planter, maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived. I mean, we might say that, but look how Paul described himself. In uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul called himself the chief sinner. He understood who he was. In light of God's holiness, he understood, I'm nothing. And we have to view ourselves that same way, that without God, we're nothing. Anything good about us, anything um, good that we have, that all comes from God. That in, in and of ourselves, we're nothing. And that's how Isaiah viewed himself. He understood himself to be who he was. And that was simply this, a sinner. A sinner who deserved to go to hell. And that's every one of us. Every person is a sinner who deserves hell, but... God made a way for us to escape hell through his son, Jesus Christ. So if we are going to respond like Isaiah did, we have to see ourselves for who we are. We can't get too high a view of ourselves. We can't be too prideful. For me, that is, that is something that is hard. Pride, I, I struggle with that. And deep down, we all do in some way struggle with pride because the flesh, our flesh, wants to build us up Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. And we get full of ourselves. We have to make sure that, as the Bible says, he must increase and I must decrease. We must have that attitude. And Back there in Isaiah chapter 6, you notice uh, verses um, 6 and 7, that Isaiah's iniquity was taken away and his sins were purged. It says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And that's what you and I need. Now, if you're saved, your sins are forgiven. You 
have been saved from the penalty of your sins. You have no, um, you have no place in hell. Hell has been removed from the equation. And praise God for that. And if you're here tonight and your sins have not been forgiven, this is the night tonight, not tomorrow, because there might not be a tomorrow. So if you're here tonight unsaved, let me encourage you, leave tonight knowing you're going to heaven. Because you might think, well, I'm young or I'm healthy. I have many years left. Well, I'll just tell you this. You know, on 9-11, the people on 9-11 who boarded those airplanes or went to work there in the Twin Towers or the Pentagon, they didn't think that would be their last day. But it was. You never know when that last day is. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure, maybe you're 99% sure but not 100%, let me encourage you, make sure it's 100%, that you know for sure that if you were to die tonight, that you would go straight to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get that matter taken care of. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The Bible never says tomorrow is the day of salvation or next week or next month. It's right now. And that's the message that God wants. If you're unsaved, that's what God is trying to, um, is God is pleading with you tonight to be saved. But if you are saved, if you have your sins forgiven, if they are washed in the blood of the Lamb, there's a process that after salvation of sanctification, when was the last time you went to God for cleansing? Think about 1 John 1, 9. Remember that promise. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that verse is for the believer. If we, who are saved, doesn't mean that we get saved again. We're already saved. Our sins are forgiven, but how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with God? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you, are you daily being cleansed by God? Because we know after we get saved that we still sin. It's a part of, part of who we are. We, have, we still have this sin nature. We still have this flesh which wants to sin, and we do sin from time to time. What do we do about it? Do we go to God for cleansing? Because 1 John 1, 9 tells us that God will cleanse us if we confess our sins. If we go to him with our sins, seeking forgiveness when we do wrong, when we violate his word, he offers cleansing. And before we're ever going to go out there into the world and preach the gospel, we need to make sure, are we right with God? Are we right with God? Have we confessed our sins? You know, the Bible says um, in, in the Psalms, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if you want God to hear you, and make sure not to regard iniquity in your heart. So here Isaiah um, is cleansed. He has this cleansing now. And then verse 8, <clears throat> then we get to verse 8 where he says, here am I, send me. So he saw himself for who he was, but he also saw the lost for who they were, and that's also important. You and I, we need to see the lost for who they really are. You know, we look at people, and all we see is what's on the outside. I cannot see a person's heart. I can't know what's, what they're thinking. I can't read thoughts. I'm not God. You know, when we see someone, all we can see is the external. But God wants us to see beyond that when it comes to those who are unsaved. And to understand that maybe on the outside they look a little rough, but on the inside they're a lost and dying person in need of a Savior. We need to see the lost for who they really are. And that is a soul 
that is destined for hell without Christ. In Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says, but when he, talking about Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You notice there that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. We need to let that be the same motivation in us when we see the, when we see the multitudes who are lost. Sometimes we see the multitudes and we're moved to anger, aren't we? Sometimes we're moved to um, bitterness, sometimes to envy even, if they are more successful than we are. They have more money. They have a better job. We think, well, God, this isn't fair. I mean, I'm serving you. I'm struggling financially, and here's this unsaved person, totally wicked, totally heathen, and they just have everything. They have, they have it all, and sometimes we get envious. And sometimes we, we look at the multitudes who are unsaved, and um, we get uh, just um, cynical toward what we see. Well, I can tell you this. We don't need more cynics. We need more soul winners. That's what we need. Uh, we need to be moved with compassion. Remember that when you look at a lost person and they're, maybe they're just foul-mouthed, they're disrespectful, um, their life is falling apart because of the choices they've made, remember that where they are now is where you once were. You were unsaved, lost and on your way to hell. That's where I was until I got saved, lost and on my way to hell. And if you've been saved for a number of years or for a long time, sometimes it's, it's hard to remember what it was like before you got saved. But let me encourage you to never forget that. So when you see the lost, the multitudes of the lost, be moved with compassion on them. Be motivated to do something about it. Be motivated by love for them. Love them like Jesus loves them. You know, Jesus loved them enough and loved us enough to die for us, to die for the unsaved. He didn't die for us because we're righteous. He didn't die for us because we're great. He died for us because we're, we were lost. And without his death, burial, and resurrection, we had no hope of salvation. That's why he died. He died because he loved us. The Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we need to see the, the lost for who they are. I want you to notice also another prophet who preached in very similar circumstances to Isaiah, and that's Jeremiah. So turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. I really want us to see this tonight, to understand this idea about seeing the lost for who they are and responding the right way. So Lamentations chapter 3, uh, very briefly here, I just want us to see this. It's so important because we know Jeremiah as what kind of prophet? The weeping prophet. And Lamentations, look at Lamentations chapter 3, look at verse 48. So Jeremiah is, again, preaching to a nation that has turned its back on God. A nation that has rejected the God of the Bible, is following after idolatry and wickedness and carnality, and he is moved by what he sees. But he's not moved to anger or to bitterness or wrath or even frustration. He is moved to tears. Look at verse 48. He says, mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Verse 49, mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. 
is that you tonight? Is that me? When we look at our country, are we moved like Isaiah? Do we weep for it? Are there tears? Or is it just grumbling and complaining about everything? Now, if, if we were as good at weeping as we are at complaining, we might see some real revival take place in this country. We might see people saved, thousands saved like they did in the book of Acts. If we, if we could weep like we know how to complain. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody, I can tell you. Coming from California, there is a lot that we could complain about and a lot that we do complain about. But more than the complaining, we need to have weeping. We need to weep. And I, I look at my home of Southern California. I'm going to talk about tens of millions of people, most of whom are totally unsaved. They're lost, um, you know, and they need to know. They need to know how to be saved. They need to know there's a God that loves them. Because a lot of what they think that we think is that God hates them and just wants to send them to hell. And that we're the good people because we found the light. We're good and they're all horrible and God's going to send them to hell and, you know, good riddance. That's what they think. A lot of them think we think. But we need to show them what we believe and what the Bible says. We need to weep like Jeremiah weeped. He saw the lost for who they were. He saw them as God did. These are people that God loves, that God died for. Remember, Jesus died. So no matter how wicked your neighbor might be or your coworker might be or whoever else it is, no matter how wicked they are, remember, God died for them. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and shedding his blood for that person. Not because they were great, in spite of the fact of their sin. God chose to do that for them because of how good God is and for his love for them. So we need to see the lost for who uh, they are. Just as Isaiah, he saw the lost for who they were. And then finally, the last thing that's going to help us to respond the way Isaiah did is we need to see the calling for what it is. Isaiah saw the calling for what it was. Look at back there in Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verse 8 again. It says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, So this is God speaking directly to Isaiah. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I believe that's the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who will go for us? And Jeremiah's response then said, I, here am I, send me. So when I ask you tonight, are you willing? What, I'm, what I mean by that is, are you willing simply to just say yes to God in whatever area it is? When it comes to missions, are you willing to give? You know, missionaries across this country and around the world, uh, you know, people don't just hand missionary stuff and give them free housing and free buildings. It doesn't work that way. The government doesn't say, oh, you're a missionary? Here, you can have this piece of land for nothing. <clears throat> or you can have this car for nothing. Or this, uh, you know, they go to buy a home. The bank doesn't say, well, you can get a mortgage for zero. Zero dollars. You don't even have to have a mortgage. Here, here's a house. It costs money. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or if you want to run a bus, you don't pull up the gas station and say, hey, we'd like to get gas for our bus. We're from a church, and they're not going to say, oh, well, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. Things cost money. And so... To get missionaries to the field, we need to be supporting them and sending them financially. So um, are you willing to say yes to God in any area? When it comes to missions, are you willing to give to missions? Are you willing to take the money that God has entrusted you with and use some of that 
for eternity. So I'm going to invest in the life or lives of missionaries all across the world to see the gospel be sent out. And I'm going to invest in eternity. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go wherever God calls you? And I understand, and I want to make this point, God doesn't call everyone to go be a missionary or a church planter. That is not, God doesn't call everyone to do that. He does call some, but not everybody. But he calls all of us to do our part to share the gospel. Every Christian is responsible for the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel. Every Christian is responsible to do their part, to see that done. It's not just your pastor's job or the missionary's job to do that. It's also your job. It's my job to do that. We can't, we can't abdicate our responsibility and say, well, the pastor does it, so that's okay. No, do you do it? Do you do your part? Are you willing to go where God sends you? You know, God may send you halfway across the world. He might send you across the country. He might send you across the street to your neighbor <laughs> or across the break table at work. But God wants to send you somewhere. And if God's called you to stay here, in this part of the country, you stay here and do your part to reach this community. But if God is calling you to go somewhere else, you need to go where God calls you. If, God, if God's calling upon your life is to go to a different country, then it's wrong for you to stay here. You need to go to that country that God's called you to. If God's calling you to plant a church in a different part of this country, it's wrong for you to stay here. You know, sometimes there are a lot of, of um, people in the ministry who are not, have not been called by God, but they've been called by someone else their preacher or their, uh, their parents or someone else say, oh, I think, you know, you should go into the ministry. And, okay, I'll go. And, you know, <clears throat> they're not, you know, God never called them. And so they go, they go for a while, they quit, they give up, and they're done. And they leave the ministry, and that's it. Um, and that happens a lot. But another thing that also happens a lot is God calls someone out of a church, and they never go. They just, you know, they, they never respond like Isaiah did. They never say, here am I, send me. Why? Because, well, for many reasons, but ultimately I think it boils down to fear. They're afraid of the unknown. If I respond in obedience, where will God send me? I don't want to go to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. I don't want to go to the urban jungle of Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. <laughs> and so they don't respond. They don't, they're not obedient. <clears throat> and that happens. I, I, I wonder... Oftentimes I speculate how many people there are in churches across this country who God is calling to, you know, be a missionary or a church planter or to some ministry, and they're not involved because they simply refuse to go. And I think of all the people that God could use, God wants to use, but aren't being used because they don't want to be used of God. We have to remember this, that God's wrath will be poured out upon all the heathen, all people who reject Christ. God's wrath will be poured out upon them. We understand that. You read the book of Revelation, and you see that wrath being poured out upon all the unsaved world. But God's looking for someone to stand in the gap. Turn uh, briefly to Ezekiel 22. Again, we saw some of these verses this morning in Sunday school. Ezekiel 22 And I want to read from verse 23 to 31, and it's, it's, um, 
it's a long passage, but I want you to see this. Because I want you to, th- as you read this, this passage here, as we read this together, think about this country. Think about the United States of America in 2021. Th- think about your country, the country that we live in, that we call home. So verse 23 there. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. <clears throat> her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Boy, if that's not true of many churches in this country today, I don't know what is. So many churches have put no difference between the holy and the profane. They're all mixed in together. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey, to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. Dishonest gain. Think about that. And her prophets have daubed them them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, (coughs) and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. A lot of people... Preachers, and I use that term loosely, claiming to speak for God when they're not preaching the word of God. They're telling people, ah, your sin's okay. God is love, therefore it doesn't matter um, who marries who or who loves who or what gender someone wants to meet. Those things don't matter because God is a God of love. God welcomes everybody just as they are. God doesn't judge people. God doesn't judge sin or or this. Um, God wants you to be wealthy. And if you're not wealthy, then something's wrong with you. God's, God wants you to um, have such a good life right now. He doesn't want you to ever suffer. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, um, he won't ever allow anything bad to ever happen to you. So if bad things happen to you, there's something wrong with you spiritually. That is nowhere in the Word of God. But there are so many preachers today who make a lot of money preaching that message because it's what people want to hear. Look at verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And look at verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Oh, and this, ver- this phrase, how sad is this next phrase, but I found none. God God is the same God today as he was then. And he's looking at a nation, this nation, which God has blessed over these last 225 or so, 250 years. And he's looking at a nation that has totally rejected him, a country that has completely rejected the ways of God. And he's looking for someone to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap. Because God's wrath will be poured out. And he's looking for someone to stand in the way and to preach the gospel to this nation as this nation turns away from God. Someone to cry out and to say, no, 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 what you're doing is not right. 
It's not right to confuse genders. It's not right to say that men can marry men and women can marry women. It's not right to say that abortion is okay. It's not right to say that all ways lead to God, all ways lead to heaven. It's not right to say that it, all that matters is how much money you make or how, or how big your house is. And you just go for the American dream and forget everything else. And it doesn't matter um, you know, whether you go to church or not. Those things don't matter anymore. That, that is the message that, that this culture is propagating today. And our responsibility is to stand in the way and say, no, that's not right. That's not what God's word says. Here is what's right. Thus saith the Lord. That is what God wants us to do. No matter if you're going to go plant a church somewhere or just you know, stay here and preach to this neighborhood, preach to this city, God wants our message to be the same to stand up and say, no, this is what God's word says. And whether you believe it or not is not the point. The point is, this is what the truth is. There is, as never before, an assault upon the truth. All truth is under assault today in our world. Satan is the father of lies. And he wants to assault truth wherever it's found. And ultimately, the truth is found right here in these 66 books. This is the ultimate truth right here. Everything that is true is in here. And we live in a culture that wants to tear down all truth, destroy it, no matter what it might be. And God's looking for a man or a woman to say, whoa, I'll stand in the gap. I'll do something about that. I'll go and I'll preach. You know, sometimes we think in the back of our minds, when it comes to this response, here am I, send me, as Isaiah said. Sometimes we think, here are they, send them. <laughs> Lord, it's so great that you're sending all these missionaries, but what if God is saying to you, I want you to go too. I have a place I want you to go preach the gospel to. I have a place I need you to go. I need someone to go to this country or that country or this state or that state. And maybe tonight God is working in your heart. God did that to me at our missions conference many years ago. Throughout the whole conference, God was really working on me, the Holy Spirit. It was like, I, I have, God wants me to be in the ministry. And I don't know why, and I don't know what avenue yet, but I know that's what God wants for me. And you might be here tonight, and God is saying, okay, it's you. I want you to do this work. I want you to be a missionary or a church planter. I want you to go somewhere. I have somewhere for you to go. And your response should be, just as Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Isaiah was willing. After he saw what he saw of God and of the lost and everything that he saw about himself and about God, he was, he was willing to say, here am I. Send me. And that was, he was putting himself out there for God to use. Sometimes that can seem very scary because we don't know every way that God wants to use us. God doesn't have everything spelled out beforehand. He doesn't have the, the, he knows, but he doesn't tell us because he wants us to take that next step of faith. And that's what Isaiah did. He took that next step. And he was willing to say, here am I, send me. That might be you tonight. God wants you to go somewhere else. God's calling you to a particular group of people. Or he's telling you to stay here but within this area, go 
Go where you can. Everywhere you can go, go. Knock doors or pass out tracts. Share your faith with those who must hear it. They have to hear it. Remember, the only way that you got saved because somebody told you. Somebody told you. That's the only way I got saved. Someone told me. Someone told me how to be saved. So tonight, God is asking that same question that he asked in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, um, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? He's asking that same question tonight as he did thousands of years ago. Is there an Isaiah here tonight who would say, here am I, send me. I'll do it, I'll go. I'm willing to be used of God in whatever way he has for me. And I know I'm not gonna have all the answers. I'll just say, tell you personally, I never thought we'd ever be able to do deputation. So I thought there's no way I can do it because I can't, I have kids, I'm married, I can't quit my job and go on the road. That's, that's crazy, there's no way I could do that. Well, I followed God and here we are, God's blessing. Uh, you know, we always have a roof over our head and gas in the, in the van, and we've been safe. God has kept us safe, and we have what we need, and we, we uh, have the meals that we need. You know, God has provided. And I didn't think, when I first thought about church planting, and I, once I knew God wanted me to, to plant a church, I thought, how can I do deputation? There's no way I could do it. You know, but here I am. God is good, and God provides. As they say, where God guides... He provides. He always does. So is there an Isaiah here tonight? Let's say, here am I. Send me. If you're not saved, again, as I said before, I, I, I'm, I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. If you're not saved, don't put it off anymore. If you're not saved, you're here tonight for one reason, <laughs> to get saved, because God wants to save you right now. So let me encourage you with that. So with that, let's pray. Let's bow our heads and our hearts this evening. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the challenge that you have placed upon us tonight, Lord, to be like Isaiah, to respond by saying, here am I, send me. Lord, you have called all of us to preach the gospel, whether it's to stay right here and preach it, to go across the country to preach it, or across the world. We have all been called to that high responsibility of preaching the gospel. Lord, we need your help to do that. Lord, we, we pray for the Holy Spirit's power upon our lives to do just that. And I pray, Lord, for um, anyone here tonight, Lord, who you're working in their hearts to go, to respond the way Isaiah did, to say, here am I, send me. I pray for that person, Lord, that you would just um, so impress upon their hearts to... to I pray they would make that decision tonight to decide I'm going to respond by giving my life over to God and let him to use it however he sees fit. And Lord, there may be that one who's not saved. I pray for them to be saved tonight. I pray your Holy Spirit would so convict them that they cannot leave tonight without talking to someone about how to be saved. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to be gathered together tonight around your word, and to worship you. And we do pray that through this invitation that you would work and move in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to honor and to glorify you in everything that we say and to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.